singles a music podcast i am as always autumn and i'm joined as always by rex you say that and immediately makes me think you're not always autumn which is i a, mean a for a while that was not situation. true for a while i was not always autumn sometimes i was allison now i'm always autumn so the, we uh we love to hear uh, an identity wise consistent <laughs> co-host um <laughs> Hello, I'm Regs. Uh, this is a fun episode. I'm excited about these albums, especially because we've got a guest. We have a guest. Hello, we do. Grace, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Grace. Uh, I'm I don't know. I'm a I'm a video game <laughs> critic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and I don't know. I write things on the internet. I'm uh, hanging out. Um, I really like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, who doesn't Pe- that's what people, i want to people out there are really annoying about yeah, bruce they're... priestie not being able to sing which is <laughs> horseshit in my estimation <laughs> Do pe- okay people out there are wrong people out there so. are wrong if people think bruce priestie can't sing like they're just that is just factually untrue yeah i i completely agree <laughs> that Okay. Anyway, sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> sorry to derail. No, 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 no. Before we get to verse three soon, um, we're going to, so albums this week, we're going to talk about the first Glass Beach album by Glass Beach. We're going to talk about uh, Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen. And I keep getting this backwards in my head, but I think I've got it right now. Mirror Guide by Giant Claw. I've spent every single waking hour thinking of this album being called Miracle. Um, it's a thing that happened. It doesn't also help that we've also got a two-word uh, band with glass in the name as the other thing that we're looking at this week. It's been a it's been a time trying to remember what the, the album's called. I keep thinking I keep thinking it's Giant Claw by Mirror Guide. Is yeah yeah anyway. <laughs> uh, I guess without. Further ado, we should talk about the first Glass Beach album. I promise you're not wasting anybody's time. And all the things I told you, I still got
track of me saying that I wanted to do like just five just regular old rap albums in a row. I did uh, decide to break that up because uh, my wife requested that we do uh, Glass Beach. And so I was like, well, who am I to argue with my wife? Um, and so <laughs> if people are not familiar with Glass Beach, uh, they're a... I think Regs put it well as a they themo band. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad with coining that. <laughs> so fucking pleased with myself. Uh, this album came out in, I believe, 2019, and um, I I don't know how Nora heard about it, but she did, and she put me onto it, and it's just like, I don't know, I just think it's really good. I think, um, like, the two things, I was listening to this album, and, and have always been in my mind when I'm listening to it, are um, <clears throat> Fallout Boy and Neutral Milk Hotel, and so I thought it would just be like a fun thing to just like bring and chat about and yeah what did y'all think of this uh grace you want to go yeah sure i i quite liked it i guess i i think i have a lot less experience in emo because my thought was like um synthy soft my chemical romance (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i've never listened to MCR other than like Black Parade and Teenagers like I don't know any of them songs. It's you so, know I know it's weird. It's weird. It's good stuff I think. Um but yeah, but just to say that like I I think the thing that really struck me about this is um it feels like an album that was made on the internet but not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yes. that it's like I I think it would be so easy for somebody like this to be really twee and insufferable. Um and instead, it it manages to be kind of, like, gentle with an edge in a way that I think is really neat. Um, yeah, it's amazing you picked up the exact word that I was, like, throwing around in my head all the way through listening to this album, which is twee. Um, I don't know whether twee has, like, identical connotations for, like, UK and US people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twee has, like, twee was exactly the word I was, like, wrestling with as I was listening to this album. Because it's got this, like incredible combination of like upfront deeply affecting sincerity and then also like hook lines that sound like they belong on the uh fucking undertale soundtrack (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is which is like such a weird combination and like there are there are moments in this track that i uh on this album that i absolutely love but i was always constantly balancing with like what makes something sound sincere (laughs) because it isn't merely just doing the thing you want to do there is something about the way that like the thing they want to do which is clearly writing incredible poppy like video game soundtrack lead lines is also kind of like a weird distancing from the like emotional core which is like the very like kind of thrashy emo Mm, stuff um and the balance between the two was like a really, really interesting tension that ran all the way through the album for me. But the thing is, I realized afterwards I was sticking the the, the like lead line to the verses in Bedroom Community at like 2 a.m. this morning. <laughs> yeah. Bedroom Community so, is absolutely the standout track for me. Yeah. Like, uh, there are a couple incredible moments. I think the title track, Glass Beach, is probably the one for me. But like, oh yeah, yeah. that's very bedroom, good too. Bedroom communities are, are fucking, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Can I, um, I think about this a lot because it's just like a very, I don't know, it's just funny to me. Um, <clears throat> if you go to their Bandcamp page, they've got a couple, uh, like, 
here's what this <laughs> album is. And it's got like the album, we wrote demos in 2015 and then we recruited the drummer and blah, blah, blah. And this is different from my previous solo stuff because blah, blah, blah. The last paragraph of this description, I, I'm just always really been taken with, um, the Sound of Glass Beach is a fusion of our diverse range of influences, including 1960s jazz, new wave, early synthesizer music, and emo, but all presented with the harshness and irreverence of punk music. We embrace the trend towards genrelessness caused by the increasing irrelevance of record labels and democratization of music brought about by the internet. Um, I, <laughs> I just have a lot of love for a band that... Um, is describing themselves as like oh yeah this is only possible because the internet made music democratized (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of good heart to that you know yeah 100% well we're going to talk about a very post-internet album at the the end of the podcast but like Mm -hmm. this is post-internet in a very very like similar kind of way in that like this kind of aesthetic smash is an entirely like product of this yeah of this, of this era yeah yeah it's really interesting like i picked up some of the it's weird when they describe the like 60s jazz because i wasn't hearing 60s jazz i was hearing 60s like rock and roll like post r&b rock and roll mm-hmm. and i was also hearing a lot of like white boy funk like Wolfpack was the band that was like oh yeah no that's yeah, yeah. like yeah um, um i hadn't thought about was, Wolfpack, if... but that absolutely 100 percent, yeah <laughs> Yeah, because it takes again. This is where the tweeness starts to like enter into the musical, uh, like like melange, the the combination thing. Because like on the one side, it's clearly like really indulgent, really special, really emotionally affecting songwriting. But I also uh, approach the same kinds of moves, the like move to like very classy, quite trad jazz progressions, and injecting that it through like funk means into rock music, with like a very kind of like Wolfpack for I, I love them, god damn it, but like there is a sort of like RC craft like wankiness oh, about for sure, them, yeah, <laughs> and, and that like that is a kind of tweeness, like that sort of like perfectly aesthetically refined st- element to this, this like perfectly twee tastefulness that um actually like was a massive shock sitting alongside the other parts of the tracks and that like i i bring this up because like there are moments where like you can be indulgent without doing that because glass beach is a a, is a seven minute track with a one and a half minute out out outro interlude Mm -hmm. and dallas follows up as a seven minute track with a three minute outro interlude (laughs) and those are tracks that do the exact same kind of indulgence but without the like the songwriting pushing through it does other things it pushes through 80s new wave and like that's a that's a point of reference it goes through like like early synth synth pop music um instead of that like r&b and like funk rock stuff and that that it it was just like a this is the balance that like there are parts of this album where i was like struggling to like live in its emotional headspace because it was throwing me like back and forth against the wall of like bright shimmery video game like funk mm-hmm. against the stuff that I really loved which is the probably more trad stuff I think there's a conversation for me internally to have about like effectively cishet respectability politics in guitar bands <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. That, like, that, that like I when I hear someone being like uh sorry when I hear a guitar man and, and think like ah oh, they're being like very emotionally honest and upfront and like exciting to listen to in that sense 
it's usually because they're like playing it very straight and playing it very like played and in the moment and like pseudo live recording and very under or under unproduced. Yeah. And that like finding emotional sincerity and stuff that is, no, I'm not going to say batshit crazy because this is very much a rock record and you can feel that backbone through it. Mm -hmm. But like has the irreverence to just chuck the, the like synth lead line in or chuck the, the like mad transition into funk or whatever it is halfway through the, 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 the big hinge track. Like that. That's a. That's a. I need to work that through for myself. That people can be sincere without being like, fucking wearing a plaid shirt and like, t- tightening away all of the creases of their aesthetic vibe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's something that is interesting. Kind of counterpoint this album too is because I think the. I mean, I guess it's hard to know like what they would sound like live, especially since this came out. You know, just before. Right. Um, but yeah. there is a sense of like, like it almost feels like a band of session musicians, right? There's a real sort of like, um, you know, tightness and smoothness to the way, but it comes out of, I think the musicianship more than it does out of the production, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So the, it's interesting. Cause like the, 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 that Bandcamp spiel absolutely says like, these were demos that were worked up by an individual and then transformed into something different by the process of putting like players who had different aesthetic right yeah uh like appreciations and like reference points into the group um but also like the other side to the life stuff is like there are clearly some moments which are meant to be the like fucking rager at the front of a oh totally yeah in a a very small dingy dingy club like this is meant to like be an album with lyrics and hooks you can scream back at the singer in the in in the gig um, which I really, really appreciate. <laughs> there are some songs you can tell, like, fucking, we need to put a banger in here. We need to put something that goes, like, goes off in the set. And they make sure they put that, put, put a couple of those in. Um, can I just, I'm just browsing around on their band camp right now. And apparently after this album came out, they did a single that was inspired by the new Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> Wow, you know, I've heard really cool. good things about that movie. I've not, I've not seen it. <laughs> I, I'm gonna read this album cover to you because I feel like this just speaks a lot to like. I I think this is a very sincere thing, and I think maybe people who I I think a lot of people would think this is not sincere, but like I don't know. I hang out with these types of people so that I know this is sincere. This album cover <laughs> uh, is a Twitter search. Uh, it says it's uh, from at Classic J, uh, Bill and Ted, and then there's a tweet here. Just want to let you know that whatever happens in the future, my official stance is that Bill and Ted are both gay for each other and only act straight because of compat, and you may think it's fucked up that they call each other fag, but they can reclaim. Um, <laughs> and I think it's really easy to misread that as like a joke tweet but i i don't know i tweet shit like that yeah no from the heart no, cool. <laughs> i think that's the thing is like i think there is a certain and i think this maybe speaks to what regs was talking about earlier with sincerity there's a certain posture um about being queer on the internet where um like i let me put it this way there are a lot of people who i love hanging out with in real life right who i really enjoy the company of and like love dearly who i cannot stand you know seeing them tweet (laughs) because there is like a certain way that you position yourself as queer online that is kind of like um 
like this kind of maximum like trying to be sincere or seem sincere and like hyper emphasis on sort of like um kindness or like aggression like very specific ways and you know for some reason it just really like sets me off and this album like has a lot of those aesthetic markers but that just completely sidesteps like to me um feeling like that's a problem um but yeah i was just saying that like it i don't know it's i think i think it's tricky and i think it comes out of like the material conditions of of being queer you know Mm -hmm. um so I, i don't i don't mean to be like Oh, people who post about, um, I, I don't know. There's like dozens of examples of this and it's completely slipping my mind. Um, but I mean, the, the point yeah. is like the reason that we have this conversation about whether the ethics of shipping Bill and Ted are reasonable is because <laughs> there are tons of teenagers with cards saying, do not interact if you're a real shipper. Yeah, like, right. In the communities yeah, that we're talking about, like th- this is the like standards of both discursive, like common knowledge but also the like the the posture that you have if you want to like try find a like a reference point for like reading queerness into relationships into like the fucked up world that we've got in front of us yeah yeah Um, like this is the this is the common language we've got right for sure for sure and i think that's the thing is like like um i mean i guess it's like the tumblr gay thing right that it's like the way you present is like really sort of soft but then like if you're like oh damn this person likes Ruby and Sapphire and Steven Universe or whatever, that's problematic. And, you know, <laughs> like that. And the thing is, I think it, the thing is, it comes out of, I think, very real, like, um, like, I don't want a galaxy brain about it, but it comes out of, like, real trauma, right? That you're trying to figure out how to, like, make rules in a community and trying to figure out how to, like, rebuild something that resembles, like, a support, a co- community support unit, right? And that ends up mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to fucked up places because the structures around you are not actually supportive of that being healthy right and so yeah and the 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 flip side the thing that i get out of this album is a reminder that like the aesthetic is the aesthetic and it's not the content because the content is tracks like dallas which are like deeply emotionally affecting and are clearly about much more practical issues than like the ethics of bullshit quid internet discourse yeah. mm-hmm. um that like you hear the the life story about like oh we moved halfway across the country and also like i dragged two other people across the country to start a band mm-hmm. also include the like backstory of like why are queer people moving across the country <laughs> um yeah. how do you actually f- build a, a meaningful community in the first place which are like all the and also like hey the uh, we jokingly i jokingly coined they demo but like the gender stuff is just off the chain in some of the tracks mm-hmm. here like, yes um so yeah like the balance between the two is just like yeah the aesthetics there but it does actually support something meaningful and like it's kind of why again this is what i mean when i say like cishet respectability politics are the thing that i need to get over in my head because like the 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 like the twee aspects don't deny or don't like impinge on its ability to be really emotionally effective yeah i just personally found that I took it more seriously and engaged with it on that deeper, more emotional level when it was shying away from those aspects. And that's why I say my favorite moments are like Glass Beach, um, Dallas, because they like are those long drawn out, indulgent, epic Midwest emo tracks, but with the like stylishness of like, if I'm thinking Dallas is the one that has like this beautiful chorus guitar as the the backdrop, which is straight up like 80s jangle pop, like, beautiful sound and like that's the stuff that i'm like finding it's like the aesthetic hook that i want in instead of the tweeners to mm-hmm. get me into the emotional headspace that can deal with like 
dislocation and missing people and traumas and losses that are involved with this sort of like queer life and yeah. attempt to form community. No, for sure. Well, I think also there's there's a interesting because it's also in some ways like a really um, like angry album, but it channels mm, that yeah. in a really specific way. Like I, I think that um, I think there is like understandably an ambivalence or uh you know about wanting to seem like masculine but also a desire to mm-hmm. be fucking angry at things that are going on right <laughs> and i think about like there's that line and i don't remember what song this is but like no one who says they love you should make you feel so unsafe right and it's just like fucking scream yeah you know and i think that like yeah. that just gives it this yeah it gives it wings in a way that i think like a lyric like that could be so like, I mean, yeah, so twee and corny, right? And it just totally is not because of the, yeah. the like, very careful way it's positioned, I think. Yeah, that's on the title track. Oh, um, again, okay, yeah. This is, that's what I think is, like, for me, the emotional core of the yeah. album. Um, and it, it works so, so well. Um, the, this is... The, like, yeah, go for it. This is part of why... Because um, the very first time Nora played me this album, I was like... I heard the first track, and I was like, what am I listening to? I couldn't quite like find my way into it. Mm-hmm. And the f- hearing bedroom community and I mean, <clears throat> classic J classic J dies and goes to hell is a long song. Um, yeah. So like even by the end of that song, I was like, I was starting to hook into neutral milk hotel because that for me, like that's my absolute favorite band. You know, like mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. in the airplane over the sea more than anything in the entire universe. And like, it's the most twee shit in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> like, it's insufferable. <laughs> I wouldn't like it if I wasn't 14 when I first heard it. Um, so, like, um, yeah, like, I, I, I think for me, like, hooking into that connection of, like, we're going to be really loud, we're going to do this, like, wall of sound type stuff um, as we just, like, pour out our hearts in like kind of like more so this is neutral milk hotel than class uh, than the than glass beach but like kind of like obscure ways like where we're trying to obfuscate what we're talking about i think glass beach does a really good job of not trying to obfuscate what it talks about you know Mm -hmm. and i think i think hooking into that made the whole album work for me a lot better so that by the time i get i get to like glass beach and dallas like I'm just fully invested, you know? Yeah. Like, my f- one of my other favourite tracks on this album is a track that I almost think that if it came in a different aesthetic packaging, it could be one of my favourite tracks ever, which is Neon Glow. Oh, yeah, which Neon I Glow's hear really Im- good. I-, I hear Neon Glow and immediately think, like, if this was a Smiths track, like, if the same <laughs> chord sequence didn't have, like, had the lead line buried in the sort of, like, wash of, like, jangly, chorusy guitars... And if the drums were like on the sixteenths um, rather than like double time, uh, like on the sixteenth hi hats instead of double time, like this would be like a a perfect shoegazy like late eighties jangle pop track, and I'd love it to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's a different emotional register, and this is like a thing that I've encountered en- enough times to know that like my aesthetic sensibility doesn't fall 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 all the way into like one of any of the many particular like avenues of emo like i found something different that that's the the thing i go to when i want to hear those sounds mm-hmm. but the, just like the the impact and the songwriting and the, the the tone it gets is just stunning and yeah like those are the kind of moments where like 
there is a purpose to having a big like line that could be the whoa oh line like the fucking cold place call and response <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 100%, <laughs> yeah it absolutely yeah you want that to be screamed back at you from the front row um it's very important that you can do that but the thing is i, but, I yeah, think um i think as someone who has listened to too much Coldplay because i was into it when i was a 10 year old in utah uh, <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. same yeah same <laughs> um the thing is it it has a speed and an urgency that that stuff just doesn't that Coldplay never can have right um, yeah exactly <laughs> you know that's so polite that <laughs> yeah so they polite. really they really are <laughs> Very polite music. They they literally made a song called "The Speed of Sound" and the snare drum doesn't like <laughs> exceeds like comfortable like tap on a table. Yeah, yes, upsetting. Yeah. You know what's funny um, is is you mentioned the Smiths in, in there, and the mm-hmm. place where I heard the Smiths was like my favorite of the interlude tracks, which was Calico. Oh, um, Calico's incredible. Yeah, Calico's so good. Um, I wish I could hear the words a little more clearly a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, this is one of the. This Calico is just incredibly gay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and Calico is like incredibly gay in like a way that I didn't know for a little while because I couldn't. It's like almost a song that has to live on Genius.com because like I didn't oh, know yeah. what the fucking words were, <laughs> and then I yeah, saw exactly. the words printed and I was like, oh, it's a gay song. Okay, yeah. it's a it's a it's a gay song. <laughs> I mean, at least I got the spoken word bit at the at the very right. start was like loud yeah. and clear enough for me to. Yeah, I mean that—that that is just a good line. I thought I was gay. I thought that might be the solution to my problems. <laughs> yeah. Autumn mm. uh. <laughs> laughs. Um, but the the um, the the fun bit where like the the vocal production was the thing I wanted to touch on because yeah. we constantly harp about this weird ambivalent relationship we have between like oh the gays they do weird things to their voices because they have gender dysphoria. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, they say double checking the preset on the the podcast recording that I've got set up. Um, yeah, the, uh, the there are a couple of little things about the vocal production. There is a a level of auto tuning and stickiness is the way I describe mm-hmm. it. A sort of like glued synthetic quality to the to the vocal production that is like really really pleasing to my like um, uh, like PC music adult brain, but that like again was one of the things i had to like bust through as a bit of a barrier to like emotionally access pieces of it but then also like there are moments like this where like i love the fact that they're willing to break out the stricture of the the calico i'm referring to um that they're willing to break out the stricture of needing to have like single dry vocal up front to to deliver emotional message on the understanding again i think a lot of this comes down to that that like if people are invested in the music they're going to be relating to it in a way that encourages like looking it up thinking through the the content of the lyrics thinking about the context and that like they could afford this kind of vocal production for emotional reasons beyond like the format that would more traditionally like have the vocals up front and like be a bit i don't know like straightforward with it be a bit like brutal with it i think some of this like it, it benefits from the delicacy of able, being able to like bury vocals or like b- build them into guitar textures or build them into synth textures. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think that that ties into I think some of the songwriting, um, which is to say that this feels like a very well, I'm struggling to find the words here, but like a very intentionally developed album, and I think that's part of what reminded me of mm. My Chemical Romance was that it it feels like a big story, you know, and not in the like. Mm-hmm 
way that I mean, my couple romance is like, oh, we're gonna write this like fucking fantasy story about skeletons with you know German <laughs> expressionist aesthetics or whatever. But like, it's just has like a a sense of a narrative arc to it, right? Um, yep. And I think that that shows up in the songwriting where like the way the sort of melodies develop and the way the voice like flips in and out of the head um, part of the track, right? Kind of reflects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fun oh. album. Just that the, the, I felt very, I, I remember running, through, I'm just looking at the tracks. Like, so I remember having this like, is it mean to describe them as video game music as like fucking hooks out of the <laughs> Undertale soundtrack? And then I saw there was literally a track. Yes, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's really not. Ground. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're definitely going it's really not it. a stretch. Um, uh, yeah. If it, this feels like music that is like laser targeted to our like collective demographic of like enlightened post Tumblr quiz on the internet. <laughs> this is like we. I feel like this album should be an own, but also like no, we're allowed us perfectly well targeted demographic. We're allowed some emotional. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's right. And I think. I mean, yeah. Like I could <sighs> definitely see someone coming on the other side of this. We're like, oh no, this is annoying. Um, but I'm just completely not there <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Like I, I fully upfront like will like it would take a lot for me to be going to bedroom communities that like my emotional depth song in the way that like quite clearly that's gonna be the one for a lot oh, of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like there is still so much in this record here for me. Like yeah, yeah, great. <sighs> um, should we? Oh, were you gonna say something? No, I was just gonna. I was gonna say. I think what you were gonna say. Do we want to talk about uh, the boss? Let's talk about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
My dad grew up in New Jersey, and so that's how I got cool. all the Springsteen. Oh. You know, and I think it was also interesting. You mentioned on the last Hot Singles regs that uh, your album is born in the USA, which is like distinctly not my dad's album because mm-hmm. like that was when he got big worldwide. Like he moved to Utah to go to school, and nobody knew who Bruce Springsteen was until Born in the USA came out, right? And so oh, he wow, was like, okay. "Oh, well, it's not." <laughs> like I'm, this is the real shit. <laughs> yeah. So, so to, to be fair, it's it's my album for two reasons. One is that I've got a vinyl copy of it because this was my mom's album. Yeah. Um, I mean, she was what 24 when this album came out. Like, yeah. was a peak Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah. Back in her young younger days. But then also, this is like, it's it's interesting. Like, I wouldn't have encountered Tunnel of Love if you hadn't like put me onto yeah. it. But this era of production, this sort of like 83 to 88 mm-hmm. is a wonderful window onto a kind of sound that I absolutely fucking yeah. love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that like Born in the USA has got in space yeah. because Dancing in the Dark is both the best sounding pop track in the world as well as one of the best written pop tracks it's, in the world. Yeah, no, like don't get me we- wrong. Born in the USA is a good album and Dancing in the Dark is just, yeah, like an all-timer pop track. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible song. But it also means that we get a lot of these, like, beautifully, like, shimmery, powdery, mm-hmm. beautiful pop songs and ballads on Tunnel of yeah. Love. Like, this album artwork is incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. The fucking bolo tie. Can yeah. I interrupt yeah. for just a moment to uh, introduce the album that we're talking about? Yeah, we should do yeah. that. <laughs> go, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> do you want to tell us who Bruce Springsteen is? <laughs> um... So, <clears throat> Tunnel of Love, 1987 Bruce Springsteen album. If you're not familiar with Bruce Springsteen, I don't know what to tell you, because I think we're three people who are in too deep on Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Um, Touch. But um, I guess the short version is that Springsteen is, emerges in the 70s as one of the like great, like, all-time great like rock singers and songwriters and like band leaders mm-hmm. and... Does that for a couple years, um, does a, uh, just gets, does these, like, progressively bigger and bigger and bigger albums, you know, um, until, like, The River is just, like, one of the biggest rock albums you'll ever hear. Like, it's just massive in sound. And it's super long, Uh, too, so. (laughs) It's super fucking long. (laughs) Too long. Hour 23, good lord. Um, does an album... Uh, where he strips everything back to just the acoustics with Nebraska, and then um, he's kind of starting to become a little more famous in this time. 1984, he releases Born in the USA, which I think the three of us are agreed on, like, one of the great pop albums of all time. He's now doing, like, this big synthy sound that he's never done before. Mm. He's doing, like, pop songs as opposed to rock songs, and Tunnel of Love is the 
next album three years after Born in the USA, uh, and it is a very similar soundscape, but now it's turned to like the divorce album. Yeah, <laughs> it's turned to like I'm 35 and going through a divorce. Um, <laughs> um, I think it's also worth it's... noting that you got... I mean, um, just to say that like I think born in the usa was the last album he worked on with the e street band his like you know band collaborators for a long time Mm -hmm. until i think like 2002 was like the next e street band album and so this is i think that's also interesting to think about like bruce is going through divorce he's getting very introspective and this is also an album that like he does not have the collaborative like force that he usually has at his back for like the first time basically um i guess excepting nebraska but that's sort of a complicated story there so yeah like this album like he literally does all the demos himself and then just brings in a couple other people to round out the rest of it yeah. uh, on the real recordings but like like <clears throat> i mean he's always been the songwriter but like yes yeah this is like really truly just bruce in like a really weird way <laughs> yeah um uh i really wanted one of the big things with bruce springsteen is that he's always had like just the best live show on the planet. Mm-hmm. I I got to see it in 2008 when I was like 12 years old and I still remember parts of that show yeah. like yeah. um and like god that was damn it. That was when Clarence was still around. Yes. I'm so jealous yes. of you. <laughs> yes, I got to see them like shortly before Clarence passed away, which is just like oh. I just feel incredibly blessed that I got to see yeah. that in my life. It was um but um I, I wanted to, and I forgot to do it before the show. I wanted to see what the live show was like once, like, I assume he was still touring with the E Street Band in 1987 and 88, but, like, um, I really wanted to see what this album looks like live a little bit, because, like, these these songs all sound, almost, really sound like kind of bedroom recordings that got made re- professional, you know, yep. to me. Um uh so i i like this album but it's definitely like among my least favorite springsteen's uh, springsteen albums that i've heard and i still enjoy it so you know take that for what you <laughs> pretty will. high standard yeah <laughs> this album was a weird one for me in that like i think me and Autumn had a similar moment with the first two tracks were like hokey <laughs> I, like uh, mawkish okay. yeah tougher than the we, rest we, is the worst Bruce Springsteen song I've ever heard. Oh my really god, Autumn, I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my favorite track on this album. I hate Tougher Than The Rest. Oh, it's fucking good. It's so gay. I get to lean back and I'll let people fight for once. Well, it's Saturday you're all dressed up in blue I've been watching you for a while Maybe you've been watching me too So somebody ran out Left somebody's heart in a mess Well, if you're looking for Good looking Joe On their arms Some girls like a sweet talking wrong 
quasi-homo um, Springsteen songs, like, he did that all through the 70s. Yeah, like, it's, all no, the it's time. true. I don't... It's true. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna fight you there. Um... Oh, okay. Um, so you were talking about live. I, I hate to link Pitchfork, uh, but there's an article about this album, this live album that I cannot find anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I should try like on uh, Soul Seek or whatever, but it's called the Christic Shows, and it's like 1990, um, and it's like an acoustic set where he plays a lot of the stuff on Tunnel of Love, and apparently it's very like weird for his album because like like he says he says to the audience, if you're moved to clap along, please don't. I'd appreciate as much quiet during the songs <laughs> as possible. Um, so that I think there is a little bit of that vibe maybe um, in in Tunnel of Love. Yeah. <laughs> if you're don't. having fun, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll post it. How you doing? Uh. 
Thanks. Oh. Like I was uh, told the uh, folks last night um, that I haven't done this in a while, so there's two things I'd appreciate. One is if, if you're moved to clap along, please don't. Uh, it'll mix me up. And uh, I'd appreciate as much uh, quiet during the during the songs. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was trying to find my next point. So if anybody has something to say, like, go, go ahead and jump in. I yeah, well, I guess I do. I, I, I do feel like the first four tracks are kind of in a very different mode than the back half. Like after yes. that. Very, very mm-hmm. much so. Mm-hmm. Especially like, yeah, like Spare Parts is such a weird song because it's such a straightforward rock track that's like so like weirdly produced. It It has like a it loses an edge. I think that a track like that would have had on like darkness or yeah river. this this yeah. Al- this whole album is so glossy and also really reserved like mm-hmm. you expect the guitar parts to like spike and have some aggression to them and they just do no. not yeah. this is an album that has like shed all its muscularity and it's really really interesting to hear Bruce who is not an artist who I like think about as having done that when he's writing guitar songs no. like yeah yeah there are synth Bruce moment which do not have that because he's trying for something different but like guitar Bruce tracks are meant to punch you in the fucking face yeah. and he just doesn't mm. and I think this is like the thing that irks me so much about those far four tracks is that like I think they could be really emotionally impactful if they decided to do that yeah. or if they like lost some of the like weird mawkishness like Ain't Got You as an intro was like actively off-putting to me. Yeah, I <laughs> I completely get that. I, I think it's an interesting choice. Um, but finish your thoughts. Sorry. Um, yeah, just that like, just that the um ability to ha- like, there's this weird again we talk, talked about it a, a version of this with the Glass Beach album, but like this like strict association with like impact and power in rock music with masculinity that I think Bruce like massively internalized on this album and that like emotionality and introspection therefore meant he had to like (laughs) excise all of it yeah and it ends up with this like incredible sound that I love and like fucking the album that I was listening to this alongside a hell of a lot was the second Bruce Hornsby record Mm-hmm. Um, mm. which is an incredible, incredible record. And I fully, fully recommend it to people. It is uh, Scenes from the South Side. So a year later. Um, and like the thing that Bruce Hornsby can do is be more muscular and powerful playing a piano than Bruce is writing rock tracks, which is bizarre, but it's absolutely <laughs> the case. Like there is bite and thickness to to those those Bruce Hornsby tracks that just it doesn't exist on the moments where like this album feels like it needs it, but then you get to the second two th- well the 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 second and third like sections of the album where like it finds ways to be emotionally impactful that exploit how like shiny and glossy mm-hmm. and pretty and like like re- like removed from impact it is because I think Tunnel of Love is one of the best eighties pop tracks I've heard in a long time. It's a good one, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's real good. Yeah. Uh, the ones for me here are Tunnel of Love and One Step Up and Maybe When You're Alone. Um, yeah. That's like the three that I will take away from this album. Oh, about see, I was, I, uh, I was going to take one from right in between those. Uh, Brilliant Disguise is, to me, the standout here. Yeah. Like, I really yeah. like Brilliant Disguise. No, it's a good one. And, and there's I also, think... um, I mean, on, on yeah. Bricks and Our Broadway, there's a good, like, stripped-down version of this with Patty. 
um, his wife. So mm-hmm. oh. worth, worth checking that out. Um, um, I think like brilliant disguise for me is able to like is kind of able to like punch you in the face a little bit in the way that like I think he can in his best moments. Not, but weirdly not through anything in the music, but it's like the. It's like his vocals and, and like the the lyrics themselves like bring kind of the oomph that I think is like missing from like yeah tougher than the rest. Let's say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the thing for me is that like Brilliant Disguise has all the emotional impact I want. I think Tunnel of Love is like a forty percent better written song. Oh, Tunnel um, of Love is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so again, like it was very fun listening to the two albums back to back and thinking, ah, oh, I wish fucking what was it? Uh, let me go through back on my Spotify browser very quickly, uh, see if I can find it. Um, yeah, Neon Glow on the Be- Glass Beach album. Oh, wouldn't it be great if that was a jangle pop track? <laughs> and then hitting the Bruce album and like, wait, hang on. My favorite track on this album sounds like it should have been written by Johnny Marr. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, yeah, it's incredible. Like, th- there is a moment at the very start of Tunnel of Love. I don't know if this is me, like, throwing an anachronism in. But, like, the intro to Tunnel of Love is this sort of, like, weird lindrum, like, skittering pattern that, like, shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is, like, a beginner on drum programming, like, getting to grips with, like, getting patterns into the book. Yeah. But, like... It's something, like, somehow really, really compelling to hear, like, Bruce Springsteen tries and stutteringly fails to program up, like, a groovy drum beat. Yeah, <laughs> that's be, something like, I... groovy in this, like, incredibly, like, rock dad way. Right, I really noticed listening um, to this album a lot is, like, um, like, I was listening to some of the keyboard tracks, and I was like, this sounds like something mm-hmm. I would play for the background of something, you know, like it, it just does not yeah. feel like, and it's not, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. It's just, there is a stilted, like sort of aimless quality to a lot of the like arrangement on this album. Yeah. Um, you know, which, yeah, which I think, I think maybe, you know, when you don't have like a really great keyboard player to bounce off of, right. While you're right. writing this stuff, I think it, it sets something up that's very different, you know? Uh, but I, I also think like this is where the the sound world comes into it for me. Like I think this like powdery like this is a lot of DX7. This is a lot of Core Game One. This is a sound palette I absolutely adore. And um, yeah, I I cannot get enough of just the like the textures um, that you end up with this like um, what do you call it with this. Uh, this era of pop music this like late 80s like dawn of the 90s soft synth led pop music it's just like something about it is just really like shiny and special to me yeah and i and i think it's also i mean we were talking earlier i mean we were using the metaphor about musculature right and i I think there's like a Mm -hmm. lot of i think a a lot of this so bruce basically has talked about how his persona on stage and in some ways his persona as a songwriter is reflection of his dad right he's like this working class guy mm-hmm. um and i think like a lot of tunnel of love is him trying to like it's like oh masculinity doesn't actually solve anything <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, okay. you know and so I, I definitely like agree that like i don't i don't think he necessarily had to completely shed that punchiness there right but i think that that complete ambivalence towards 
a lot of like the posture of his earlier music i think is really interesting and i think that's something like ain't got you which i agree is like a is it like an off-putting and weird track right like 100 percent but I, I think there is something interesting about him opening with like a really straightforward Elvis riff that just does not have yeah. any punch at all, right? That it just yeah. feels like weightless and mm-hmm. empty, and that feels like a like I understand why he was like this is the first track on the album, right? Because it sets everything up, you know. Yeah, it's it, there's a purpose to it, even if it is like an unpleasant listen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was almost um, like I was listening to this album, thinking about like how would I sequence this differently because like. To me, not liking the first two tracks at all, and then also, I like spare parts, but it feels like, between the two songs that it's between, like, this first, it just makes the first four tracks just feel weird, and so I was, like, looking at the album, like, where would I um, put everything, and I think if, I think you could make Ain't Got You the closer, and I think maybe it would make me like that song a little bit, actually. Yeah. (laughs) No, I could see see that. Like, like Her Majesty kind of, like petering out you know yeah yeah like here's a little sketch of an idea and me doing an elvis impression and it's just like oh that's a sweet little song and not like just this like bad elvis impression to start the album (laughs) which is weird because i also think of springsteen who can do a really good elvis impression (laughs) (laughs) so Starting the album this way is just bizarre to yeah. me. Well, I think there's also, I think that's also reflective of something, because um, we were sort of, again, we were talking about the lack of punchiness, but I think that's, it's weird because the vocals I do, I think do still have, like, like when, when Bruce sings, is that you, baby, on Brilliant Disguise, it has like a real edge to it, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just not reflected back into the, the background, right? Um, which I think is like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's such a weird, like, it's such an interesting, weird thing. And I think that was part of why I wanted to pick this because it, there's threads of this album that show up in later stuff, obviously. Um, but like, it is a weirdly unique set in, in I think his entire oeuvre, you know? Um, I'm trying to think of more stuff. The other, the weird thing also just like, thinking about where Springsteen is at in his career um like it's a it's weird to like think about this album and think about like oh this is like the last good album he was gonna make for 10 years <laughs> more maybe yeah yeah um, I still really haven't weirdly, listened I think to like the, Human I think Touch. the 9-11 album The Rising is like the first good one he did and like I don't think he made a good song in the 90s hardly it's weird it's weird <laughs> uh well okay um I think I think Ghost of Chom Jode has some really good tracks on it. I will say that. But uh, let me look at. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Okay. Yeah. But no. I, but you're I right. Like there is still album in a long time. But there's some good songs yeah. here. There's but like I I guess like I still haven't really listened to like Lucky Town and Human Touch. Um. But They're bad. like yeah, They're really that is bad. my impression. <laughs> um. And Ghost of Chom Jode is like, yeah. Like I think the first like four tracks are all bangers, and then the rest of it's like oh yeah. That's some Bruce Springsteen folk tracks, you know? <laughs> so, um, like, Youngstown is an all-timer, I think. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like, I, I, it is weird to think about that, that he, like, there's a weird emptiness to, like, the decade after this album, for sure. Yes. Um, and then I think, I think, yeah, The Rising is where he comes back together with the E Street Band. It's also very much a 9-11 album uh devils and dust is also very much a 9-11 album yeah 
Um, the thing is, uh, they're pretty good. You know, they're they, br- pretty fucking good. Yeah. The thing. yeah, they avoid a lot of the like absolutely obnoxious stuff that you could do with a 911 album. <laughs> you know, um, but it 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 works. Yeah. So like, I'm not gonna argue. I guess. Yeah. Oh. It's it's weird having like my introduction to Springsteen was to late Springsteen first and then went backwards which was mm. a slightly strange way of doing yeah. things. Like, I think, like, Working on a Dream might have been the first Springsteen album that, like, came out when I was, like, of a music listening age and that, like, my parents, like, bought a CD copy of more playing around oh, the house. Oh, wow, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. And then only, like, backfilled in, like, an understanding of who he actually was, which means it, it came sort of as a surprise with the, like, like, how, like actually potent both emotionally and politically the older stuff actually was mm-hmm. and seemed coming from stuff that was like again like the the thing that i feared in the first couple tracks of tunnel of love it was that it was mawkish but without even being mawkish in a kind of endearing <laughs> like dad rocky way yes yeah it was just it was endearing in a kind of like wet sad way <laughs> sorry mawkish in a kind of wet sad way yeah. um but yeah no like that's the thing i'm always on a watch out for with it uh with his with his stuff is like does it make me cringe because that was the first genuine exposure i had to it was something that definitely made me cringe yeah and it was um, such a like a relief to go back and find there was so much more stuff to like very sincerely invest in emotionally yeah, yeah. no i i think like i mean i have not made it all the way through working on a dream ever because like the title is yeah it's just cringe to me i guess is like the it, it is so powerfully the obama album yeah like if you weren't if you weren't there as a springsteen person in 2009 like i can't stress enough this is the obama album this is like this is like propaganda yeah <laughs> and it's weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh. oh my word yeah this is like right when i saw him like he he was doing great work like live yeah. at this time it's just like this album is just oh it's a lot to deal with also matt i like magic well enough magic's good uh, yeah <laughs> magic is a good album radio nowhere is a really good song like yeah and then it just it it fully turns into like the West Wing on working on <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do it like that. Well, it's weird that like that like Wrecking Ball is the album. I guess we're just deep in Springsteen hours now because that I mean I, Wrecking mm-hmm. Ball is I think misguided a little bit, um, like understandably, but it does have a genuine sort of edge or like anger to it. Um, about it also feels like an Obama album, but like better. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and it's not. I don't know. Like, um, but like. I don't know, like, you you put fucking Land and Hope and Dreams on it, and it's probably going to be an okay record. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the ones for me were just that, like, um, my dad had Devils and Dust and uh, We Shall Overcome in his car, and those were mm. just, like, two albums that, like, I would literally listen to, like, every day for years yeah. because my dad would just, like, lean over and he would see, like, the six CDs he had in his car, and he's like, well, I guess we're listening to We Shall Overcome again, yeah. so... Um, that's a really good. That's my favorite of like the two thousands spring. Yeah, I think stuff. it probably. Um, I I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's probably the best. I think of the. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's tough to beat. Um, um, yeah. Well, the rising was that for me. So it's interesting that we're actually we all kind of have similar 
things here where we had parents listening to sort of like 2000s era Springsteen and then went back, you know. <laughs> and then went back and then was like, I, like, yeah, my dad gets me in with 2000s Springsteen and then I, I heard uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town and the Wild Innocent E Street Truffle and I was like, oh, these are two of the best albums ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. I, I'm, I mean, I kind of did the, the thing of like, oh, what's on VH1 right now? Oh, wait, hang on. Why is this thing that is also like grabbing my, my heart emotionally also the most like shiny, beautiful thing that I've heard in months? Yeah. And that was like, <laughs> take any single of Born in the USA. And that was my end. Yeah. Cover me. Oh, my God. Cover me. Yeah. Cover me is good. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I, ha- I had a moment. I had a moment where I was listening to... It, it was... Those first four songs, which I feel like just didn't come together to me at all on Tunnel of Love, um, where I was like, heard those first four songs, and I was like, let me go listen to Born in the USA for just a second to like just confirm that I do like Springsteen in the 80s. Like, I have to remind myself, do I like this? And I got to cover me, and I'm like, okay, okay, I like this. Do some calibration checks, and yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're on the right Dancing track. in the Dark is still Dancing in the Dark. Okay, yes, we're fine. Yeah. It just I, I have to thank you so much for telling me that there really is very explicitly a Bruce Springsteen breakup album like this is not a thing I knew existed and I'm glad I do now yeah. and like it, it is it's such a weird particular emotional space to, to shove someone into but yeah yeah well I, yeah 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 well I, I think that like um you know there's a there's a track I think this is on Devils and Dust um there's a track later called um i'm oh uh long time coming which kind of feels like a sequel to this like sort of like things worked out because it's about his relationship with his wife and his dad and feels like autobiographical right in a way that um like that's also one of the interesting things is even though this there's a couple tracks on this album that are like like spare parts and conscious man are like storytelling tracks in the way that springsteen does but so much of it feels (laughs) like just him talking right which is actually a pretty rare yeah yeah thing for him um and um just to say i i think this album has like a big place in my heart because it like it really is trying to grapple with like his own failures and like the way he's like mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. fucked up this relationship right and um and then i think like coming out on either side of that like i don't know long time coming is it's weird because it's a song about like being a dad and whatever but like it's one of the most trans springsteen songs to me (laughs) because it's also like about this kind of like new birth and i think this i don't know there's something about this that sort of sets that up in a way that like when i first encountered that track that made it super meaningful to me um um I mean, yeah, like, speaking to, like, it's about him grappling with his failures. That's why Brilliant Disguise was, to me, like, the standout track, because just, like, the simple turn in the in the first couple choruses where yeah. he's saying, is that you or just a brilliant disguise, to the last one where he says, um, is that me or just a brilliant disguise? Like, it, it's simple, it's like a little trick, but it just works so well. Yeah. You know? When I think, um, yeah, like, the delivery there is so, is so good, too. Um yeah like he sells the hell out of that like of that term yeah. and like the the problem not being her but the problem being him yeah um this whole, we, yeah it's 
this, this the whole back half of the album, sorry, just gives me everything I could possibly want out, out of the, the catchphrase Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, it really it's is. It's just so good. <laughs> For me, if you, if you turn it on with maybe Tunnel of Love and you just play the album straight through, like, I don't know yep. if that's like, maybe that's the B-side of the, of the vinyl record yeah. itself. Like, I don't know. Yeah. If you just play that, like, this album's really good. <laughs> that's the one. It's exactly the one. Yeah. Um... Should Time we... to head over. Uh, mirror guy. Yeah. Whew. All right. I, I did a marginal amount of prep for this, so give me a yeah, second. Yeah, hit us up. I know, like, yeah. nothing about this album, so. Yeah, I listened cool. to it, really enjoyed it. I don't know. Yeah, damn like, thing. I definitely liked so. it. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to take a circuitous route to introduce it, just so that I can, like, situate it and also have, a like, a live reaction on the podcast, because we've got to check that box off <laughs> right. every now mm-hmm. and again. Uh, one second, I will take a moment to find it. Uh, do I, wait, do I have this link saved? Oh, no, there it is. Um, can I ask you both to listen to this track? Mm-hmm. All right, should we just sure. hit it? Or do we uh, let's three, two, one it. Okay. Oh, great. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> three, two, one. This is so funny. Uh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> There is a reason for this. Um, the track we are listening to is a track with a Korean title, so I will try and Google translate it to see what the translation is. Uh, uh, my Heart is Trembling would be the Google Translate translation of it. Oh boy. For, for listeners who are not watching this music video, um, the song just started and Shinji Ikari is here. <laughs> He's uh, looking at a picture of Masato. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this is really funny because... Uh, the, um, for reference, the, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the artist here is Death Dynamic Shroud. Mm-hmm. Um, we will, I will talk about why this is relevant very shortly. Um, Autumn stumbled in thanks to uh, Buchanan, um, Buchanan Ultimate. Um, <laughs> uh, she tweeted about, about uh, Death's Dynamic yeah. Shroud like three days ago, and I didn't have anything going on, so I was like, oh, let me just like pull this up. Like, let me see what this is. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to let you watch the whole video just to like enter into the headspace for a moment. Um, but And while we're doing this, I'm going to pull up the things that I need to grab. This is just a... <laughs> is this like... Did the band put this together or is this just like a... This is a... a fan a making label. an AMV. Hell yes. No, this is a, the label threw this together and the label we shall not talk about too much. Um, there is drama that is utterly irrelevant for pressing okay, conversations. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just I wanted to get like the vibe like square so that when I like pull the curtain back... Okay. Some like Lego pieces start falling into, or Tetris pieces start falling into place. Um. Cool. Oh, there's Sonic Adventure now. <laughs> oh yeah. In this AMV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think is this, is this? I don't think it actually is, but the background is like the 2001 Stargate sequence, like layered over everything. Oh, you might be. Might be right. Yeah. Feel like it might be. Yeah. 
track's an absolute belter. This is what the inside of my brain looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny this you say that. This is your brain on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I can't stress uh, enough. You should probably watch this music video. Yeah. I will link it in the description. Yeah. And again, like, I'm, I'm glad I want to get through the whole, well, most of the whole thing. It'll become apparent why. <sighs> Just vibing. <gasps> I wonder if I'm dreaming. Sonic Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's probably enough video to explain what I need to. Um, I'm going to pause for myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop in chat this hello.mp3. Um, this is the track, sped approximately up 33%. Okay. And I just want you to listen and see if bells start going off. You just made it faster, and now you can dance to it. <laughs> you, you think that? No! Oh! No! <laughs> Fuck you! Autumn. Do you know, want to know the reason why I know about the Sonic R soundtrack?
Um, uh, Giant Claw is the project of Keith Rankin, one of the three members of Death Dynamic Shroud, a vaporwave trio. We are talking about his solo project for this album. Um, the reason I know about the Sonic R soundtrack is because Work It Out was the sample for probably my favorite ever vaporwave track by Death Dynamic Shroud. Damn. Um, and it is now like a crucial, cool part of my personality. And that's, that's the thing. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> makes sense now. Yeah. When you said it, it's the inside of your brain, like that, was, this was the world I was in and stuck in for much of the 2010s. <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, this is what the setup. I hope. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for taking us on this journey. Um, this is amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I mean, as soon as you hear it, it like, it's there, it's all there. Um, it's genuinely one of my favorite tracks ever. Um, the flip is incredible. Work It Out is obviously an incredible track, but yeah. Um, mm. So we are not talking about Death Dynamic Shroud, but <laughs> DDS is like a, a like one of the tentpoles of the like more like critically acclaimed, musically interesting, in my opinion, end of Vaporwave. Vaporwave is a micro genre of involving like slowing down tracks particularly like nostalgic elements of like 80s and 90s pop culture to reuse it recombine it and turn it into something that is more derealized and strange and this uh this like attitude towards source material is a thing that i think carries over quite neatly to uh keith rankin's solo project giant claw um the album we're talking about is mirror guide Mirror Guide, I think, has been...
press releases is a hyper real cello concerto or was similar to that yeah um okay yeah so this is an album in like revolving around the sort of like conceptual like idea of hyper realism um i'll pull up uh no krashevsky is a composer who wrote a very sort of like short summary of what he takes hyperrealism to be about um but it comes from this like weird interesting moment in uh, uh, classical musical development between like the earliest minimal like innovators in like minimalism and electron like uh electronic and acoustic stuff i'm thinking like stockhausen and um John Cage and people like that doing like art music, which played a lot with like concrete sound um, and early electronics. And, but from before the era of like real digital manipulation. Um, so the thing that this revolves around is hyperrealism. I'll just say the statement of it, which is, oh, let's find the link. I had it a second ago. Um, come on, load up. Yeah, hyperrealism. Uh, is an electroacoustic musical language constructed from sounds that are found in a shared environment, as in realism, handled in ways that are somehow exaggerated or excessive, hyper. Contemporary reality so densely laid and information rich and so far removed from the hypothetical state of naturalness that hyperrealism is an accurate state for identifying the fabric of daily life. We live in a hyperrealist world. So like that's a that's a, like a aesthetic approach and tactic yeah. for dealing with source material and the way of interpreting and reinterpreting the world. Um, uh, Giant Claw's latest uh, project Oh, is, no, go ahead. Finish your thought, actually. Yeah, go for it. You can set up the album yeah, and then sorry, I will... The, uh, I, I have a thought here. Bounce off it, yeah. Yeah, yeah so a Mirror Guide is an attempt to produce this for a, like, cello concerto. It is meant to be revolving around the sound of a pizzicato cello, doing things that a pizzicato cello can't actually physically do and extending that into, like sounds that like play off it allegorically mirror it shape and like bounce off it in terms of like hyper digital sound design um it is meant to be sort of evocative of elements of real worlds uh, uh, like textures and sounds and objects but be hyper to them to be extensions of them to be unrealistic extensions of them to be like manipulations and like um like reality busting extensions of them um and it does that with like this incredible sound palette of like glossy um like midi like hyper programmed um orchestral instruments super detailed super rich super like sharp and clean they sound very very pristine to me which is like a very cool cool approach to this combined with some of the like hallmarks of like modern experimental ele electronic music in both like structure these are very like abstract like collage laid out tracks with very little like measure and internal structure to them mm -hmm. and a lot of like what i hear is like movement form writing um motifs that like weave in and out of the music reference points and technical elements that like weave in and out as like thematic through lines so yeah um that's the like big idea backing up Giant Claws Mirror. Yeah, world. that's, that's, I mean, that's really cool. First of all, I feel very validated because I think I picked up on some of this stuff, even not knowing the background of, like, the sort of theoretical background of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hearing that description, it really reminded me of, like, 
uh, like cubism, like the way artists talk about yeah. cubism, that it's like, okay, it's obviously like, you know, I'm drawing this painting of a lamp and it doesn't look like a lamp to what a lamp looks like to us, but that's because it's reflecting this like deeper reality of, you know, beyond the image, right? And there's an interesting exactly. element to that, that yeah, that like it's trying to do something with what sounds very like very naturalistic sounds that goes beyond like what a human could do with them or like it would be at the very least very very technically difficult for someone to actually play yeah, a track like this. yeah <laughs> some of them quite simply the the instruments cannot reproduce those pitches like they are beyond the range of the instrument yeah. um sometimes the things you would be asking people to do with their hands are just implausible mm -hmm. but yeah like this is the purpose of the claim like we live in a hyper real like uh we have a hyper real existence now is to like draw the point that like our experience of reality is like has all these allegorical relations to natural elements yeah um well that they're all narrativized or dis uh, like discursively reconstructed aspects of it yeah such that like this is this is the way to like uh, maybe not obtain a more faithful understanding of the actual way things are like maybe there is no actual real authentic uh, appreciation of the object right. in that case but at the very least you get like genuine like intentionality and control over your newly technologically mediated existence and technologically <laughs> expanded and like contrived existence if you like fully enter into the mode of like engaging with the extended capacities you gain by dealing with objects in a hyper real rather than a realist way yeah well i think that also because something i i kept thinking about listening to it was like um windows startup music <laughs> Oh yes, you know? so like yes, aesthetically, this is drawing yeah. massively from like New Age and from um, from like the the like hey like early vaporwave was indebted to this era of like um I, I am going to need to show you unfortunately the boogeyman of this podcast um uh what should we call it one tricks point never um, <laughs> so when we brought OP on on we brought on um echo jams. Echo jams and also, did we bring in anything else, or did we decide not to? I can't remember what we did. All of a sudden, uh, was it just the one album? It was the I one album because we went for teams along with it. So yeah, he uh, Daniel Lopatin is um, for anyone who doesn't remember One Six Point Never. He's his solo project. He's also done Uncut Gems soundtrack, production for The Weeknd, many other things. Um, one of his many albums is R Plus Seven, which is an attempt to like aesthetically reappropriate um, a lot of like new age and nineties um, electronica instruments for uh, the purpose of making like abstract electronic music with uh, the, this exact kind of um, the, this exact kind of like back. Yeah, this is probably a good example. I'm sending over the track problem areas. Um, with a, this exact kind of like appreciation for the like weirdness of digital reproductions of real instruments, mm -hmm. and as well as the like their aesthetic use in new age music as like a as like a point of reference for how to like tap into something like sublime and like maybe hyper real about their expressive capacity. I also just because he's one of my favorite. Um, like musicians and the website is incredible i'm linking the home website of yassos who is a um greek new age ambient synth artist <laughs> who has just got the most incredible website in the world oh God. um he was a massive point of reference for this exact kind of music uh the more authentic version not the like reappropriated version 
Um, but just, just poke around this website. It's my this, favorite thing in the world. This is a lot happening. Um, um, in this site, you will find music, colors, videos, visionary images, and information and knowledge, all relevant to those in Avatacom's tuned to the heavenly, heavenly realms. This site may be a special interest <laughs> to those that cherish beauty and prefer love, happiness, and ecstasy. I intend that the site be an oasis for your soul in cyberspace. And this is meant entirely seriously. Like, straight up, this guy is absolutely sincere about, like, the capacity of, like, New Age music to, like, tap into sublime, like, experiences and mind-expanding, like, modes of being. Um, but, yeah, this is, like, a massive thing in the background of Vaporwave in general, but a lot of modern experimental electronic music is this, like, reappropriative attitude towards vulgar, but also hyper-digital and digital approximations of analog sounds and it's something that like this is an album that lives and dies by the way you like your the the sounds like scratch the back of your brain um this is now yeah. lives and dies by texture and timbre um and this is an album where like this is this is the good shit for me this is what i'm after um <laughs> and this is the sort of thing i like chase in my own work um and fall far far short of because this is a really fucking good album mm. but um yeah, like that. These are the reference points. Hopefully, that makes it a bit more intelligible. Yeah, I was really taken with this album, and like, yeah, like the thing. I like. I also um, like Grace. Just immediately was like, oh, this sounds like Windows startup music. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I mean as a compliment, to be clear. Yes. Um, yeah. And like, um, oh, I was I was going somewhere. What was it? Um, yeah, like. And kind of to your point, Regs, like the like, as soon as I started listening to it, like there was just something about the way that the music, like, yeah, just like kind of hits like in the back of your head, and just kind of like, I don't know, it, I there was a lot of stuff that was like sticking to me in like a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh-huh. um, really yeah, taken I- with this. I will just say that this is like a, these are a bunch of like production techniques that I love and I'm like trying to master. There are, I'm linking another, we talked about a lot of albums on Orange Milk because they are a very good record label. Um, This is the record label that um, the Machine Girl record was on. I am just linking, pick any track on the last Galen Tipton record and we'll have exactly this kind of like spatialized, hyper detailed, like piercing, like feels like someone is rubbing the thumb against the insides of your orbital bone. Like it's, it's, I, I don't know how to describe the sensation of these like hyper-spatialized sounds, but mm-hmm. both of these records have it in spades. And it's like a, a massively important and like massively exciting direction to take this kind of like timbre. Like when a lot of the time people think about timbre is like, what's the quality of the sound? It, like, is it aggressive? Is it soft? Is it, um, is it like sustained? Is it, uh, like plucky is whatever it might be. And those are like descriptors of a sort of like physicalized shape. And it's very hard to try and use that same vocabulary to talk about sensations that are like embodied or sensed. Um, but like I'm resorting to these sorts of physical analogies of like the way that pressure is applied or the way that like scratches might, might feel. Because this is the only like language I really have for describing the sort of like new wave of like whether it's like phase modulation or like um oh like hyper spatialized like uh like spacing that goes beyond the normal panning arrangement of your speakers by doing weird tricks with stereo image yeah um i love this stuff to to, to death it's fucking great 
Yeah, well, I think it's also, um, <laughs> so when I saw the album cover uh, for this, the first thing I thought of mm-hmm. was the Star Wars prequels, um, <laughs> specifically yes. the, like, sh- you know, Naboo ship in uh, Phantom Yeah, Menace. I was literally going to say, it's the Naboo ship. Yeah, <laughs> like the hallways and that. And so I guess, like, coming into it and then getting, like, a sound um, that is in some ways, like, very naturalistic was, like, very sort of opposite what i was expecting um it's a it's really know. interesting you bring up the artwork because the artwork is digitally designed and then recreated as oil painting by his partner oh my god um, yeah uh-huh. so like every single layer of this is like going through the same like procedural approach but, like obviously the subject matter is what it is if you can't see the artwork in front of you it is the sort of like uh the inside of what looks like an an, an airbus like a and brand spanking new aircraft but that extends into like an infinite vanishing point with a hooded like maybe cloth maybe marble draped figure at the center um but yeah like this was digitally created and then reproduced in oil um so like yeah the the, the sort of modality of like approaching again it is it's in it's in reverse it's like creating a physicalized object out of like an impossible hyper real yeah original like mm-hmm. that's a mirror image of what's happening in the um in the record in the music yeah. itself but um it's still like very much this process of like the like gleeful reappropriation of media um and the like interplay between the two to like get weird emotional and like textual effects yeah um yeah so like, I have thoughts about the music itself. Like the the first track is the best track on the record, and it's an absolute blow away like piece of music. I am thinking about Arthur constantly. Um, I think this is like almost a masterpiece. Like I think there are moments like Mirror Guide Part One is a four minute track where like it's unusual for the rest of the album, like static in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like it bogs down very slightly, but like. I'm fucking nitpicking. I think this album's like one of my favorite that we've talked about. It is just like all the sorts of elements that like give me the like textural experience, like textual experiences over time, but more particularly that sort of like build to crescendos and structural moments that like are ecstatic and beautiful for me. Um, It's got them in spades. Um, Yeah, like how did you find the, the process of listening to this album? Like... With that moment, like, was it also for you, like, listening to like a classical piece with like, like, sections and suites and themes, or like, did you hear it in like a like a pop album, or how the, did it yeah, go? Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely, I definitely like, I didn't know what to expect going in, I because you didn't tell me anything, and I, I didn't <laughs> want you to tell me anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I just was like, let me just put on the first track and like, let's just go through this, and yeah, I thought, I thought Arthur was kind of a like an introduction and then as, and it is um and as you get into mirror cam startup like um i was like oh like it's an introduction in the same way that like the first four bars of a pop song are an introduction you know like it, everything is just going to kind of follow from the place mm-hmm. that earther starts and yeah i was just really taken with like it, it's an album that was like weirdly intense with imagery for me of like mm. like some sort of like and it's we it's weird to describe because there's nothing in the um 
you know, there's no sort of lyrical content to this that, like, does this. It's just all through the music. Like, it, Earther, to me, because it feels like Windows startup music, like, the rest of the album feels like some weird machine coming to life mm-hmm. and, like, hitching and, and struggling and then, like, sometimes doing something cool. <laughs> um, and so, like, having sort of that image in my head uh, through the whole thing, it was it's a lot of fun, like it's it's fun which is a weird was not the word that i thought i was going to use to describe it as we like started this conversation but as i'm yeah, talking it's, I'm like yeah it's it's, it's playful. playful yeah totally yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, um it's interesting you say that sorry go for it. oh go for it. i was just I gonna mean. say um uh well i actually i don't know if i've listened to enough of him to really like call this but one of my favorite classical composers is schoenberg because i'm edgy, edgy trash um, uh-huh. and, uh, <laughs> this kind of reminded me of that in that, like, um, so Moses and Aaron, which is like Schoenberg's only opera, I believe, um, and has these like fucking incredible, like octagonal chords that it's like the choir that plays God does and stuff. It, it feels like yeah. there's a way in which it's tried to approach the un- undescribable, right? Like the sensation of interfacing with technology. And I think like, yeah, the way Autumn talked about how the feeling of that, it's like, a machine booting up and then working, you know, feels mm. like that there's sort of an interrelationship there between like the, yeah. And I, I guess this is like the point is that it describes the way you were like interacting with something in a way that you didn't think it could be described. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, <laughs> that thing very much about the final track, which has like approaching opera vocal snippets. Yeah. And reuses alongside the like, uh, the, the like vocal glissandos up, um, which have this like, they, they are terrifying to me because some of my favorite noises in the world are obviously when people like do fucked up things to voices that like mm-hmm. make you like click onto them as voices, but still not be able to like capture their like origin and like a realistic relationship with them. And that's like an unsettling and fun thing to do. S- similarly, like, Fucking around with pitch is a very cool thing to do, and I like it when people do it. Um, and I can't tell whether this is like a sample that has been like pitched with a in the pitch digitally, or like a couple performers have like attempted to do this, and like that's a very nice feeling to not know how a thing is made. Yeah. And then it comes to the vocals later in the track, and it's almost remarkable about like, oh, immediately like I know this was recorded in like a very spacious, airy room with a lot of like. Uh, early reflections from a wall around them like suddenly it's spatialized and this like this attitude towards space that like in most of this like a function of I think the um, the tracks being quite uh, like flat and like rhythmically sp- like, <laughs> like there is no rhythmic structure there is no like yeah um, like a structural element to tie things together beyond like thematic callbacks over time like it is quite like flat and like um a like horizontally expansive piece rather than something that is like sliced up in time mm-hmm. um and in that way like it other the because of all the weird spatializing metaphors we do with music like it feels like music that is like spread out over like a terrain for me, in my head at least, like I spatialize it that in that way. And that suddenly like it feels localized as soon as you get something even a minimally real to grab onto. Like just like suddenly you're in the room with a recorder. Some suddenly you're in the room with someone standing five feet away from a microphone in a like a mid-sized room, and I like know what the feeling of that room is like. Before it like 
slides you back out to this like vast pseudo infinite plane on which this music is like like horizontally arranged um so like i i think i I think about it in these like slightly more abstract metaphorical senses but like the the way it employs vocals in this album in this way that like apart from like very very select moments where it does very specific things with it um keeps this sense of like flatness this like expansive this like spatial extension to it um yeah it's it's a really really cool trick and um it's, it's a very very nice feeling when like you feel those moments of it being disrupted yeah well it, it, i mean there's a sense of i mean again i guess it pulls back to like the sense of the album almost being analog right that you mm-hmm. that you sort of flip in and out of those modes and also it, it kind of reminded me of i just was reminded of this when you talk about the opera vocals it reminded me of the uh knife album tomorrow in a year which is like mm. a concept opera based on um, the origin of the species. It <laughs> um, <laughs> has some electronic stuff and also some more like opera stuff. Anyway, and so I think there's a way in which maybe sort of interesting trend in like electronic music going forward. You would know way, way, way more about this regs than I do. But like <laughs> trying to like tap into something both physical and ephemeral, right? Um, I think that's really yeah. interesting. I think there are, there are a bunch of different ways where this actually happens. Like one is like stochastic and generative music, music that like is meant to be performed with no understanding of, of like on a full understanding that like it is repetitive but will never repeat exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like we talked about Orteca in a recent episode where like the whole ability for Orteca to pump out and the NTS ses- sessions, which is like eight continuous hours of like pseudo-continuous music is through the ability to like stochastically reproduce similar evolving patterns that never like exactly reproduce um and this is like a mode that has been explored really really heavily like i think a lot of minimalist compositional techniques were like designed to like programmatically do this but like at the compositional stage before it gets to like the performing object the performing like person whether it's synthesizer or played or instrument or whatever it might be right, right. but that, that like bringing things into sequencing allows you to do these these kinds of effects in a more generative way think about the music of ryoji ikeda who was one of my favorite sort of people at the like interface of like i'm not gonna say clubby electronic music but like super super digital electronic music and like art installation um who again uses like mass data sets and like algorithmic organization to like produce repeated patterns in this way um and but then like that that's like one direction to take that sort of like designed but also ephemeral thing the other is like um free improv where like the the purpose is to like generate circumstances that are particular to the like ensemble and acoustic and like moments in which performance happens and that like a lot of that can happen electronically as well um yeah like totally 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 that the um the, the like push towards abstraction is something that is like simultaneously like fought against by the explosion in accessibility and like cultural and significance of dance music and like electronic music that is like centered around beats and at the same time like the technological capacity to like do generative things do things that are yeah stochastically varying or improvised or um like sense uh, sensuous like based off sensor inputs and like responsive uh like embodied in that way 
yeah, that has been a, like a massively interesting point of departure in, in electronic and particularly just like experimental music generally, because at this point, like, I think if the, the trend towards hyper-realism in one sense is also a, a, like an expression of the, like, the lack of significance that the distinction between electronic and acoustic now has, yeah. or at least the lack of distinction that the craft that involves each of them has. Like, mm-hmm. people are, like, becoming proficient in all of those skills simultaneously because they are, like, intertwined and maybe also dependent on each other in a way that they just simply weren't 20 years ago. Yeah, well, I... I that made me think of... I might, I might be talking out my ass here, so... But I think about, like, the relationship between, like post-modernism and like marxism and neo-marxism right now because i feel like there's mm, been a trend yeah. in i mean at least certain circles of like theory and philosophy and academia where it's like you're starting to trend back towards the material right where hi there you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the critical theory hour on uh you know it's it was always the critical yes theory hour yeah on, exactly on <laughs> um and and I, yeah, like, I feel like, I don't know, this is really fascinating to be hearing you talk about this because this is tapped into a lot of theoretical stuff that I actually, like, have some understanding of, right, at the least. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting to think about, um, like, there's the, the, the Borges story that Baudrillard uses in um, oh, Simulation Simulacra that's, like, the map over the territory, right? And, like, the map becomes... Mm-hmm the way you were interfacing with the world. And I think, like, music like this feels like an attempt to map both the map and the territory, right? That there's, like, yeah. there is still something underneath there, right, that is that is graspable, you know? And that's, like, an interesting, mm-hmm. uh, like, position to be, like, theoretically in, right? If that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. The um, I mean, I gesture towards it with, like, the, the like... If you're working, maybe not with a like committed understanding that this reality is hyper uh, hyper real, <laughs> right? But yeah. with the understanding that like there is this constant kind of mediation that happens, and that mediation is like a, a like a historically specific and technologically specific one, and that um, <laughs> that the like there is it may or may not be or may not be in that case a very like authentic self to recover beyond that those levels of mediation mm-hmm. than like. It's a it's a possibility to explore the like with less encumbrance, with less like tether to the to the to like supposed authenticity of whatever is hiding underneath. Like it feels weird to, to come at this having talked so extensively about like what authentic or sincere expression yes, sounds yeah, like in a sure. rock album. And that like <laughs> the, the 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 sort of flip point being that like if anything shows it up, it's that it's entirely contingency. It's entirely like a product of the sort of um vocabulary that you build communally um i mean totally. if this is my like attempt to resolve the the conundrum of like the materialist fighting the postmodernist about how to pass reality it's that like both need to be pragmatist um which is that like both recognize the contingency and reliance on like repetition and legitimation through communal action mm-hmm. and that like the capacity that we have is to like redefine and reinscribe those normative like bounds all the time and we do um we like in this very shallow, well, relatively shallow case, we um, we reinscribe what the meaning of authenticity is to be about the relationship um, objects have to their like sources of origin, rather than like some like more emotional aspect. But that is still like a there's still a continuity, like it's still like yeah. a 
a, a continuity of idea between the sense of authenticity that we're talking about. And that, like, I'm very, very happy that, like, a very frank confrontation with the, like, entirely constructed or entirely contingent aspect of the process of renegotiating these boundaries is a thing that enables us to like actively intervene on them and this is what i take work like this theory like this to be doing is like to like giving us the giving us the tool set to like diagnose at least elements of ways in which we might re-normatively parse our um like access to reality um on the understanding that like <laughs> there are lots of disciplinary and lots of like coercive forces that will try and manage the way in which we approach aesthetically politically materially yeah for sure um <sighs> yeah well yeah i think it's it's tough like it i mean i think that um taps into something that like like i well this is like a big thing but like i you know i've been sort of like what does art do a lot <laughs> you know does it matter <laughs> like is it and I, I think the thing at least it does for me and this is this is not like a theoretical concept but it, it does make me believe that i have power or that i have a way of interacting with the world that changes it you know and mm-hmm. yeah and i think that taps into like exactly what you were saying i think that's an interesting way of thinking about like approaching a very abstract in some ways electronic record right uh, that it ends up yeah. having this very like real thing to say about interfacing with the world that we're in yeah i mean i think this is this is a way in of like the um of like i'm not gonna say well it's a way of leveling it's a way of like producing an interpretive frame that can manage to encompass both at the same time yeah um because it would be like a really impoverished one which like asserted some kind of like boundary of meaningful difference or like other possibility of like signification was different between authentic and inauthentic media and the like positing that like media intervenes on the boundaries of the like bounds and production of authenticity is a really useful way of talking about the work that we're doing when we like listen to this and put it up against stuff like uh, uh an emo rock record yeah um hell yeah i think yeah i think that's about <laughs> all i would have to say about it uh rex gave us a lot of material to work with so shout outs yeah it's a fucking cool album. Yeah. Um, it's fucking good. Yeah, again, like, when, when I think about it in the more trad classical frame, it's like, I want to hear what Keith, Keith Rankin keeps doing because, like, there's, like, composition in here that I love. Yeah. And, um, and I also think that there's composition in here that could be even more special because the palette is, like, so obviously a thing that I'm, like, in love with. Mm. Um, but, yeah, um... That I think is pretty much what we've got. Um, I yeah. am trying to send you a cursed meme, which I'll attempt to do very shortly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, do do you know what you're picking for our next episode? I do. I also know what I'm picking for our next Damn. episode. Should I go? Should you go? Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'm picking the Carter. We've talked about this. I'm picking the Carter. Yeah, you're picking the Carter. It's not the first Little Wayne album, but it's the first one that matters. <laughs> and I am finally going to make us have a fucking argument. I'm picking songs by Adrian Lanker. Okay, yeah. Let's fucking go. I'll tear your throat out. <laughs> you, maybe? Do you need to? I don't know. We'll find out. I think it's a good album. I think you might like it. Um... Um, um, all, all sense will be made of all of this very, very soon. Um, I, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. 
I have trended toward liking each big thief thing more than the previous one, so maybe I'll like this one. Hey, um, hopefully it'll happen. UFOF was all right. UFOF was pretty good. So. <laughs> anyway, Grace, where can people find you online? Um, yeah, you can find me at Grace underscore machine and at uh, graceinthemachine.com. I'm also on Patreon now um, at patreon.com slash graceinthemachine. Uh, is it alright if I if I shout up a couple of musician friends here really quick? Please do. Of course. Um, so first up is my one of my best friends, our all best friends, uh, Sophie Blair, who does like alt pop um, music. When I when we were friends, oh we're still friends. But when we were when I was you know <laughs> seeing them play live, <laughs> they would they had a uh, viola and a. Um, uh, what's it called? Like a, a sequ- what's it? I'm trying to remember the word, but basically you like play something and then it'll play it back over again. Um, Loop? A looper. Yes. Um, there we go. And that was it. Like they just played <laughs> with themselves a voice at a viola. Um, and Sick. that, I think that like sort of, they, you know, they have sort of a classical background um, and that shows up in the music, but it's also, anyway, Close Quarters is their most recent single. Came out last month. Um, that's really good. They also have an album under the name Nymph called Orisons uh, from like 2019, I think. Um, that's pretty good. A banger, I think. Um, and then also, uh, let me double check that this is the right name that he is using. Yes. Okay. So Seth Ringer, um, who was the drummer in my extremely bad high school band. Um, he was the best part of it, undoubtedly. Um, extremely talented rhythmic guy, and then he just—he's uh, now doing like drum and bass records um, that he like, you know, self-writes and produces and stuff. Um, he did an EP last year called Weltschmerz, um, which is literally world pain nice. in German. Um, yeah, Weltschmerz is a great, excellent German word that I picked up from romantic yes, singing. Actually, yeah. yeah, excellent word. Yeah, and it's uh, the title track is great. It's a, it's a really cool album. Um, very like, yeah. I don't know. You can really tell that he's like a drummer, but it has a lot of like very cool like mel- melodic qualities as well. Um, anyway, so shoutouts to to those folks and friends from out here in Provo, <laughs> so, from the actual world. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's it. Uh, so you all can do your plugs now. I'll back off. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, you can find you me on Twitter at Regression with three S's. Um, I've been doing my shouts through the um, through the course of the, the bonus episodes and things like that. So like people can people already know if they want to either hit me up for music recommendations or also find what my cool friends are doing. You can do that. But I will absolutely give a shout out to Data Fruits, which is an internet radio station, which is currently in the middle or coming towards the end of a or might have just finished by the time this comes out a massive like 10 day continuous stream of live shows um like 24 7 internet radio for some of like the best coolest dance music electronic music weird and experimental stuff as well um and i i did an hour of i did an hour on dj set for it and lots of friends were part of it and you should definitely if you're looking to just like have a thing on in the background or want to start digging through their archive um, that is right there and a great way to find new stuff out because it's fucking rules. Um, 
you can find me on Twitter at uh, Atumal underscore coffee. You can find all my podcasts, exportodd.io. Um, and, oh my god, sorry. Um, I googled the score of the Hawks Sixers game <laughs> while I was <laughs> talking. <laughs> Regs, do you want to know the, the score on the game I'm looking here? it up. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. 42 to 27 at the end of the first quarter. Ooh. Our Sixers are down, Boy. which is... Uh, I'm guessing Trey's gone off. Joel's playing? I don't know how you score 42 points in a quarter. I, it's quite a lot I of points. You do that. Yeah. Anyway. Well. Uh, good for them. <laughs> you find, wow. You can find me on Twitter at a tumble underscore coffee. All my podcasts at exportodd.io. I just started a new uh, podcast about like movies and movie and like film aesthetics and film erotics and, and like my friend nia and i who you will remember from the um lou reed jenny fall um uh uh uh, uh fang episode uh nia and i are talking about movies um and, and like not talking about stories so much as just like films as like aesthetic experiences um that is mostly on the patreon but actually just last night i went and made a uh public feed for it that'll be like kind of a week behind the patreon so if you go to export odd.io uh slash ornate stairwells you'll get access to the first episode which is about the hunger the 1983 lesbian vampire movie um and if you um you know if you subscribe to the patreon you'll also get access to no regrets for our youth and then this week we're going to record an episode about butch Cassidy and the sundance kid because i wanted to watch a movie about some gay fucking cowboys so hell yeah. yeah um that's the other thing is that we're gonna watch every movie and be like these guys are fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the thing is it's um, just true so much of the time it's just literally so we didn't because like I was sleepy, but like the potential first episode of this show was going to be about the third man, which is just a movie about how Orson Welles is so hot it turns straight guys gay. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, what you also need to watch the third man. It's, it's one of my favorite. It's probably. I mean, I'm not a movie watcher. This is not my like. Mm-hmm. This is not my bag. I have enough. A hard enough time paying attention to things that like involve me holding a control of my hands. Visual media that doesn't involve me like actively engaged with with it is like a struggle yeah but Mm -hmm. the third man is like probably my favorite film i mean it's like Uh, i understand why yeah there's a david lynch film and a david cronenberg film in the top three but like the third one's probably the third man yeah yeah it's uh, very reasonable it's uh it's also (laughs) great like i mean i i uh was on vienna and study abroad and it's absolutely beautiful rendering of that city too so it's plus it's it's stunning the way in the third man, like you can't tell what's on set and what's on yeah. location. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because so much of it is on location, but it looks so like perfectly orchestrated that you think it's all on sets. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. I, I love it when a m- movie works like clockwork. It's it's a yes. a beautiful yes. thing to see in action. But yeah. Yes. Um, so. But that is that's a different podcast. Yep. <laughs> that's a different podcast. Uh, um, yeah. So, that's the end of this podcast. We don't have a sign-off, do we? Uh, <laughs> keep proving. I'm struggling. <laughs> Stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> there it is.
Stay hydrated, everybody. <laughs> Keep it moist. All right. Well, Don't say that. <laughs> All right. We need to fucking end this. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it.